0: God giving to us good things that we don't deserve. Let's thank the Lord for his grace upon our lives. Amen. Amen. I, I had somebody that yesterday we were, we were talking to somebody and they, they were telling me that, you know, that their life was, was like most of ours. It was a mess. And, um, and they were very thankful that when they came to Christ, they were thankful for God's grace. You know, it is an amazing grace. It is an amazing thing, the grace that God gives us. So I I asked you to check out some scriptures, and we talked a little bit about the law versus grace on Sunday, and we looked at some things, and I said, once you begin to start seeing it, you're going to begin to see what Jesus has done. Now, about six months ago or so, I asked you just to read through the New Testament. I ask you actually just to read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And let's look at Jesus. Let's see what he's done, how he's done some things. So I want to get in and look at that. I want you to be able to have an idea of, of somehow when, when Jesus himself was, when he was ministering, when he was on the earth, when he was walking through some things, when he was stepping out in what the Father had called him to do, he was looking and he was listening and he was hearing the Father. All right, and he was saying, I, "I only do what the Father tells me to do. I'm only doing what I see the Father do." So there is some principles there. How many of you know that not everybody liked Jesus, <laughs> and not everybody's going to like you. I wish that was the case that everybody liked you, but not everybody's going to like you. But trust me, you're in good company because not everybody liked Jesus. All right? Not everybody liked him. And actually, there was a group that didn't like him, and that group was actually the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and even some of the teachers of the law. But how many of you know, whether you're operating in a pharmaceutical situation or a mindset, there is always the grace of God that's available to us. Amen? There's always his, his unmerited, undeserved grace favor that is available to us so let's take a look at some scriptures i want to get into some we i asked you know i said there's some that we showed we put them up on uh on the screen uh marty if you will just we're going to put up the scriptures we're just going to put up scriptures let's just look at i don't know we have i got the adulterous woman i got zacchaeus's conversion let's go to john chapter 8 let's look at the adulterous woman in this situation i want to just going to give you some uh some kind of history behind it um When we look at the adulterous woman in this situation, what I'm asking you to view is to see, was it law or grace? How was their law applied in this, and how was their grace applied in this? And we'll be able to look at that, okay? John chapter 8, I'm going to start off at verse 1. It's okay if we just read the word tonight. We just get into the word tonight. Is that all right? Verse 1 says, uh, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning, and he came again into the temple. And all the people were coming to him, and he sat down, and he began to teach them. So we see Jesus, he he goes, what, early in the morning? And he goes to the temple. I want you to know it's okay to go to church. Oh, come on. It's okay to go to church, but guess who went to church? Jesus went to church. He was in the habit of going to church. So we see where he went to church. And he sat down, and he began to teach people. In verse 3, it says, "...the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the center of court. We talked a little bit about it Sunday, that the Pharisee himself, that one time when he was looking uh, to come to pray, that he prayed in the center court, That he just came out there and he prayed. Well, they brought the adulterous woman in, and they brought her in, and they they said, Look, here's here's what's going on. Verse 4. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now the law... Excuse me now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman in the law he commanded them to stone this woman all right so the pharisees who operated by the law that is that's what they operated by now this was before Christ had died on the cross this was when Jesus himself before the 40 days that he had gone to be with the father came back taught and then he left to be with the father and seated at the right hand of the father it's before that All right, it was before he was resurrected, and he says, Now the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so they might have grounds to accuse him or accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and he said to to them, Who is without sin among you? Let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Wow. Okay, <laughs> okay, you know, here's the adulterous woman. She's done something wrong according to the law. Now, I want you to know that, that being stoned was, was, was strictly in the law, in the law of Moses. It's, it's, it's true that Moses had adultery. If you'll go back and you'll look in the, in the, in the law, and uh, I think it's in, actually in Deuteronomy, Leviticus 20. Let's go to Leviticus 20 real quick. Keep your finger right there because I want to lay out something. Leviticus 20, if you're not sure where that is, it's in the Old Testament, just go all the way to the beginning, start at Genesis, go to Numbers, excuse me, go to Leviticus, then verse 20. If you get to Numbers, go left. Let's look at verse 20, chapter 20, excuse me. And I want us to look at verse 10. Leviticus 20, 10. Marty, if you can find that. If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, and the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. Okay? So not only the adulterous woman should have been there, there should have been somebody else there. There should have been the man that had committed adultery with her. So they should be put to to death. The rabbis believe that um, the punishment, the mode of punishment, I I made some notes on here, they say that, that they were strangled. In other words, if a rabbi's daughter committed adultery, that that rabbi's daughter was actually strangled. So there were different modes of punishment, and you can read through Deuteronomy, you can read in Leviticus there, and you can see different ways they would punish people. One of the ways would be stoning, another way would be strangulation, another way would actually be burning in fire. It's in there. Um, you can follow along and read it. Um, Deuteronomy twenty-two, twenty-two. Actually, if you want to look at that up later, that's where the rabbis say they they, they were strangled. They were that this was a mode of punishment. Okay, if a person was guilty in of act of kind of had been betrothed but not married. In other words, remember when um, Mary was betrothed to Joseph? So they were. It was like I'm He's pledged to be married. So the scripture actually talks about in Deuteronomy 22:23 23, that that's where she would be stoned. So what we read in verse 10 just said death. didn't say about a particular stoning. So we could assume that this adulterous woman was betrothed to a man but not married to him. So she could have been a virgin. See, the Bible doesn't say she was a prostitute. In fact, if you looked at it biblically... Because she was there and they were going to stone her, the method of stoning was when a woman was betrothed to a man and then she had a sexual relationship with another man. So they would bring her in to stone her. Do you understand what I'm saying? you guys get it? So if, if she was stoned, then obviously we could presume that that would be the reason she was being stoned, that she was betrothed to somebody else. She wasn't the prostitute. A lot of times we'll say, well, she might have been a prostitute. And I myself have thought, well, maybe, you know, Jesus was writing all the names of the guys that had been with her uh, in the sand. And I don't know if that's true because when I look at the principle of what took place and I get a little bit deeper into it, I realize that she was stoned. And there's only certain things in the word of God why they were stoned to death. Okay? So we assume that she was betrothed to a man. And then she committed adultery with somebody else. But the one thing that you have to remember is the man should have been there too. But it was just her. So under the law, this was supposed to take place. Do you, do you agree with that? Under the law, it was supposed to take place. In verse 7, but when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and he said to them, Hey, whoever is without sin, you'll, leave, you'll be the first to throw the first stone. I'm, in, uh, I'm back in John chapter 8, Marty. If you're, Oh, you're there. Good job. Verse 8. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone. And the woman, where she was in the center of the court. So here's Jesus with what? Nobody else left but him and her in the center court. Now, according to the law of Moses, what should, what should have happened? Stone just a little bit. Literally stoned to death. That's right. She should have been stoned to death. And the guy should have been stoned to death. And obviously they would have to have caught them in the act. The Bible says by two or three witnesses let everything be established. So obviously this woman was actually caught in the act. How embarrassing is that? To be caught in that act. But then they should have brought him and her. And they should have stoned him. But I want you to see where God's grace is now beginning to be applied. Straightening up Jesus said to her. Woman. Where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Amen. <laughs> I got one a.m. Amen. He says, go and what? Sin no more. He didn't deal with the sin. He dealt with forgiveness first. And then he said, go and sin no more. And I have to tell you, there's times where I've probably dealt with the sin first and not forgiveness. And then the only forgiveness that would take place would be after you're not in the sin anymore. Oh, come on, somebody. Do you understand what I'm saying? Have you been the same way? I'm just telling you me. So in my religious self, operating under the law... It would be, you know what, you deserve, you deserve to be stoned. But Jesus didn't do that. In fact, Jesus had compassion on her. And he said, look, I'm not going to condemn you. I think Romans 8, 1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. I mean... He said, "I'm not going to condemn you. I don't want to put words in Jesus' mouth, but what it, was He saying, "I forgive you and go and sin no more. Wouldn't that be something? I forgive you, but just don't do it anymore. See, one thing we're understanding about grace is that sin cannot stop grace. But grace can stop sin. <laughs> because Paul says, well, well, sin abounds, grace that much more abounds. He's not saying you got a license to just go sin and do whatever you want to do. In fact, grace can cover the sin. And, and if the love of God covers a multitude of sin, hello? His goodness, his kindness is going to cover that sin. I'm telling you, sin cannot stop grace, but grace can top, stop sin. Woo, hallelujah. I mean, that gets me excited. Come on, somebody. I'm like, woo, yeah. So so in my own life, in my own life, I'm in a big shift. I'm in a big transformation in my own life personally. I'm looking at it and going, okay, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. And I look at this, and this is this is a good one because... Because we can begin to, to see where Jesus himself began to operate in that grace. You know what? The Pharisees set this up to get Jesus. There are time and time again where they tried to set him up i was looking at the sabbath today and doing some studying on that and there were times where he healed on the sabbath and they would bring somebody in and jesus would be actually preaching he would be the man and then the pharisees were saying there's a guy that needs to be healed let's see if he'll jesus will heal him because jesus is not supposed to heal on the sabbath because it was against the law mosaic law are you with me so they would try to set him up. They would try to set him up. they try to set him up. They were, they were setting him up. So we'll get into that. We'll get into that on a few more Wednesday nights. Is that okay if we dig into that too? We'll take a look at that. Well, we talked about a little bit about the Pharisee and the publican. That was Luke 18, 9 through 14, and we could see that. Um, you know, when the, when the, in that story that we read Sunday, in, in the publican, when the Pharisee came in and he was talking about, I fasted and I have fasted. There was a fast, and you would fast Monday through Thursday. Monday through Thursday. That would be that fasting. So he was saying, I'm keeping all these ordinances. And he said, Lord, I don't want to be like that guy over there. And we talked about that Sunday. But we know that that one guy operated in humility. He operated in the grace of God, and God shows him his kindness. Has the Lord ever showed you some kindness? Amen. So, okay, let's turn with me to to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, that's a good word tonight, amen? Amen. Luke chapter 19, because a lot of times we, we, we talk about scriptures, and I know you're busy just like everybody else is, and we can give you scriptures on Monday morning or Sunday morning to go through and look at, and then during the week... I mean, Wednesday can come by, and you're, oh, man, I meant to look that up. I meant to read that. Oh, man, then Thursday went by, and then Friday went by, and then this is the weekend. And, man, I meant to look that up. I was going to read that scripture, but I really got so busy about it. And then two, three weeks later, you're getting into something else, or you're reading something else, and you forget about reading those. So I want to go back and just look at one. Now, how many of you know that we we can operate by the law? This is a different law. This was the Roman law in which Zacchaeus operated under. Okay? So let's take a look at the difference between, because we can get legalistic even in the laws of America. We want to abide by the laws. We want to fulfill those laws, right? But this is the same thing with Zacchaeus in the Roman law. So a lot of us know about Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19. Are we there? Let's look at verses 1 through 10. I'm just going to read through it and look and see where Zacchaeus was operating by the law and then how his, the grace of God came. And all of a sudden Zacchaeus has a change of heart. He entered Jericho and he was passing through, and this was Jesus, of course. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. So he just wasn't an individual, uh, you know, lower, lower position tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. So that must mean he had tax collectors underneath him. You reckon there was any kickbacks going on from Zacchaeus from all the tax collectors that were underneath him? You know, he was like the head mob boss, you know, hey. You know, uh, Vito gets some money, Vito gets to keep some, he gets some, and, you know, everybody's happy. So he was the chief collector, and the the Bible says he was rich. Say rich. Rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, and he was small in stature. I like Zacchaeus because I'm kind of small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into the sycamore tree in order to see him. And he was about to pass that way. When Zacchaeus came, or excuse me, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and he came down and he received him gladly. And when he saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he's gone to be with the guest of a man who's a a sinner. How many of you know they see him for what he's done, not for what he is? Oh, come on, somebody. A lot of times in our own lives, people see us for what we've done. That was little Eric. I remember when he was 16 years old, you know, he did this and he did that and he should have been doing it and, and he got arrested for this and he spent time in jail or whatever it might be and all these different things. Oh, that was so-and-so, you know. I remember what they did. They were just a little knothead when they were a kid. You know, they blew up the building or they, you know, did whatever happened. It was like that's all they would be known for. You know, oh, there's there's little Johnny. Well, little Johnny's grown up. You know, little Johnny's given his life to Christ, and the old has passed away, and the new has come, but some people will still see you as old little Johnny. Amen? It was He was the one that did these things, and he was the one that did that. You know, but how many of you know, when they saw him, they said, hey, they saw a sinner. They saw Zacchaeus as who he was, not who he was within Christ. Amen? Or what he's done. They saw him for what he's done, not for who he is in Christ. So Zacchaeus stopped and he said the Lord, he said, Behold the Lord. You think how something happened to Zacchaeus? I wrote in my Bible, this is a kingdom conversion. Mm-hmm, yeah. Kingdom conversion. I mean, there, I've heard of conversions where some people are like, Yeah, you know, I, I gave my life to Christ. And, and you look at their life, you know, a year, two years later. and You don't know if anything's changed. And you can look at people like Zacchaeus and look at what happened. He stopped and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And I've defrauded anyone of anything. I will give back four times as much. Do you think God's grace was poured out upon Zacchaeus' life? (laughs) Oh, man. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. I mean, it's like, whoa! that dude got radically saved, hallelujah. You know what I mean? I'm telling you, when you get radically saved, when something happens radically in you, things are going to look different. And you're going to look on people that you might have hurt or, or made fun of or beat up in the past. And you might go back to them and say, look, dude, I'm sorry I beat you to a pulp a couple of weeks ago when we were at the bar. But today I gave my life to Christ. And I'm here to bring you some food or to bless you or to do something and say, hey, I'm sorry about what I did. Because something has happened inside of me. The Lord of Lord and the King of Kings has moved on in the inside of me and His grace. It's been applied to my life. Hallelujah. Come on. Somebody ought to give the Lord a mighty shout of praise. Hallelujah. Think about that. It's like, man, when you get radically saved, when you get radically saved, I went to people that I had wronged, and I said, I'm sorry I wronged you. And they were like, huh? I was like, you know, I know when we were we were doing this, that, or the other thing, and I got mad at you, and I was two miles out of town, I said, get out of my car. And you got out of my car and you had to walk home at 3 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I'm sure nothing like that happened to you. But it's like then you come back to them and said, look, I'm sorry. And they were like, man, I don't even remember, man. I don't even remember. But okay, dude, that's fine. Yeah, great, wonderful. And it's like, what happened to you, man? I mean, what's wrong with you? Well, I got saved, man. I gave my life to Christ. What is that, man? Well, I guess that's cool. I don't know what that means. But I guess it's cool. Well, it is. And by the way, remember that 20 bucks I borrowed? Yeah, man. I knew. Here, here's 30. Here's interest. You know what I mean? And then they're going to go, Woo, something did happen to you. <laughs> Whoa, well, I might need to check into this Jesus thing, man. Think about that. And when you get radically saved, say radically saved. I mean, things happen. Things happen. I mean, you go back and, and minister to your parents and you say, Look, Mom, I, I was not a good kid when I was growing up. Will you please forgive me? And they're like, weeping that's my story that's my testimony But I went back to my mom and said I was wrong I was wrong for the things I had done and some of you don't know my story when I graduated from high school I was not living at home I left home when I was 16, 17 years old I was a senior in high school got mad at my parents and I moved out I never moved back in but I went back to my mom and my dad And I said, I am sorry for what I had done. Zacchaeus, he must have known, Jesus, I am sorry for what I have done. And I'm going to give back four times the amount. And you think he was like uh, somebody that probably went and knocked on somebody's door like, Oh, no, Zacchaeus is here. And then Zacchaeus is like, Here, here's $400. What? Why? Because I wronged you. Why are you doing this? Well, because I met Jesus. I met Jesus. I met Jesus and his grace upon his life. Because under the Roman law, Zacchaeus was guilty. It's no different than the natural law with Al Capone in Chicago. The things he was doing, he was. the law was still there saying you're not allowed to do this. In Roman law, they weren't really allowed to be extortionists but the Roman government was loose and sloppy and they weren't going to enforce anything. So under Roman law, he could have been guilty. He could have been tried, but he not only wanted to appease Jesus, but also asked for the forgiveness probably of and come in line with the Roman law. And I don't know what the rest of the story is. They get to heaven sometimes. I was like, I want to see that Zacchaeus thing. Show me that key is I want to see what happened after that I want to see him going to the people's houses I want to see him traveling around the countryside. I want to see him go in To those that he was chief over and saying look man, here's my money You better give them and oh by the way, well, they only paid 400 Just like well, you, you know or four shekels or whatever it might be. Well, you know what you give them 16 You give them 20 and They're like what why? Oh, wouldn't that be something? Because I met jesus I have no idea what the ripple effect was when God's grace was applied on Zacchaeus and he was saved. He said, salvation has come to your house today and he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay, let's take a look at... Um, Let's take a look at, gosh, I don't know. i got so many I want to cover. Let's go to Acts chapter 10. I want to take a look at at Peter's vision. So we're talking a little bit about the law versus God's grace. Acts chapter 10. Everybody go to Acts chapter 10. Say, "Thank thank you, Lord, for your grace. I mean, Zacchaeus, I know he was thankful for God's grace. Do you think the adulterous woman was thankful for God's grace? Absolutely. What about you? Are we thankful for his grace on our lives? I mean, it's like I, the more and more I look at the grace of God, the more and more my heart begins to melt with thanksgiving. The more I begin to say, oh, God, I am so thankful. Because how many of you know there's some stuff I did that I did not get punished for? Hello? There were times where I got caught, but how many of you know there were times where I didn't get caught? And in probably the times that I should have got caught, I didn't get caught. Hello? Acts chapter 10. Everybody there? Say, I'm there. Um, now, there was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household. How many of you know he had a relationship with God, but he didn't know Christ? Hello? He says he was a devout man. He, was, he, he feared God. He reverenced God. And it says in his household, and he gave many alms to the Jewish people and he prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision the angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And he fixed his gaze on him. And being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon. So Simon's staying with Simon. (laughs) The Simon guys. (laughs) Simon is staying with Simon. Of course, one of them is called Peter, whose house is by the sea. Verse 7. And when the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier to those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained to them everything, he sent him to Joppa. So here's Cornelius. He's got his guys. He's, he has a vision. He, he meets an angel of the Lord. It may have been the Lord himself. There were times where an angel of the Lord appeared. And I, I know that there was three that appeared to Abraham. And we believe that one of those angels was God himself. Hello. So there, it could have been God himself that he had, but it was in a form of an angel that, that he himself had envisioned. Are you with me? So it says, he says, your prayers and your alms have ascended. So these things are happening. I want you to go get some guys, and I want you to send them down to Joppa, and I want them to go to a guy's house, which is named Simon, and they are looking for Peter in Simon's house. He had to, don't you know, he had to differentiate between the two. He'd be saying, he's looking for Simon at Simon's. Simon, who's also called Peter, Peter at Simon's house. Okay, let's see what happens in verse 9. On the next day, as they were in their way approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about six hours to pray. And he became hungry and was desiring to eat while they were making preparations and he fell into a a trance. Peter was hanging out on his roof. Back in Israel, in Jerusalem, you can see that. The houses are flat-topped roof. And people would have dinners. They would go up and relax. You know, there was a lot of things that would take place on the roof. The roof was utilized just as much as somebody would use their backyard. They didn't have a backyard, so they would spend time on their roof itself. So Peter was up there. They were making dinner, and he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky open, an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by the four corners of the ground. Now, do you know that Peter's Jewish? Okay? Cornelius was not Jewish. All right? So Cornelius has got guys going to Peter's house who's a Jew and the Jews don't like the Gentiles and Peter's a Jew and he gets this vision and these things come down. Let's just read it. And there was all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures on the earth and birds of the air. How many of you know to Peter in his background this was unclean things? All right. According to his Jewish tradition according to the laws the levitical laws food laws he wasn't supposed to eat that stuff okay it says a voice came and it said get up peter kill and eat (laughs) peter said by no means lord i have never eaten anything unholy and unclean again a voice came to him a second time not just once but twice how many of you know if something comes to you more than one time you better pay attention especially three times. We're going to get into that. The second time, what God has has cleansed no longer consider unholy. Let me say that again. What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. Verse 16, this happened three times and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Three times he had this. Peter, eat. Peter, eat. Peter, eat. No, Lord, this is unclean. It's unclean. Whatever I call clean is clean. Okay? How many of you know Peter was operating? Was he operating in the grace or the law? Okay, everybody? Law. Oh, he's operating in the law. Okay? Again, a voice came the second time. It's cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Verse 16, this happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as what the vision had seen night and might behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked direction for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. So Peter has this vision. Now it's time. He said, Lord, I, this is unclean. we know that, and as you read on, you, we know that the Lord was, was saying, look, Peter, I know you're a Jew and you're called to the Jews, but you're going to have to go to the Gentiles who the Jews thought were unclean. You're going to have to, because if I'm calling him clean, you're going to have to go. So if I call him clean, he is what? Clean. If God applies the grace on your life, it's applied on your life, and God's not going to revoke the grace that he's given your life. He graced Peter with the opportunity to go in and have a hallelujah come to Jesus party at Cornelius' house. That's what, he had, that's what he did. So the guys are going to show up, and they, they show up. Um, calling out. They, verse 18, And calling out, they were asking for Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there while Peter was reflecting on the vision. The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Man, I want to have such a relationship with the Father that I can just hear the Holy Spirit and he can say, three men are looking for you. And I not be scared. (laughs) Oh, no, three men. Oh, no, what did I do? Oh, no. What do they want with me? Three men are looking for you so it says verse 20 he said get up go downstairs accompany them without, mis, without misgivings for I have sent them myself Peter went down to the men and said behold I am at the one you're looking for I'm the one you're looking for what's the reason that you've come that you have come and he said Cornelius a centurion a righteous and God fearing man well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you he invited them in And gave them lodging. So a lot of times we think, okay, Peter just left and went with the guys. No, they spent the night. And the next day, it says right there in verse twenty three. And the next day he got up and he went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. How many know Peter didn't go by himself? Peter learned something from Jesus, because Jesus sent him out at least two by two. So Peter wasn't going to go by himself. He got some men from Joppa to go with him, because I think this was this was cool. Because what was fixing to happen, I think those men from Joppa were probably going. <laughs> Cause they were probably Well, they might have been Christians. They might have been believers in Christ. But even if they weren't, God was fixing to open up their whole world. Verse 24, on the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter raised up saying, stand up. I, I'm too, I'm just a man. And as he talked with him, he entered and he found many people assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner to visit him. What was Peter operating in or was letting them know that look, it's unlawful for me to even be here. I'm sticking my neck out. I got a risk here, but I'm coming anyways. He said, God has shown me, and when you hear a word from the Lord, guess what? It ain't going to matter. It is not going to matter who opposes what you're doing. When you get a word from the Lord and you step into that word from the Lord, you are going to be filled with power. Can I get an amen? So Peter was full of that, you know, showing me that I should not call any man holy or unclean. He showed Peter no longer to call anybody other than the Jews unholy or unclean. I'm not going to call anybody unholy or unclean. And somebody comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be able to look at them and not call them unholy and not call them unclean because they belong to the one who cleanses and purifies and puts his grace upon their life. Hallelujah. Verse 29. That's why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I asked for what reason that you sent me. Cornelius said, four days ago, among this hour, I was praying. And I was praying in my house. And during the ninth hour, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send a job, invite Simon and all those who are called Peter to come to you and stay at the house of Simon. They were staying at the house of Simon Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you've been kind enough to come. Now then, we're all gathered here. I got my mama. I got my daddy. I got my kids, my grandkids. I got my nieces and nephews and aunts and uncles. And I got cousin Bob, cousin Billy Bob, cousin Frank. I got, I got my nieces. I got my nephews. See what I mean? Because the Bible had says that he gathered his family there. He said, we've all come. We've all come. And, and to hear that you, what you have been commanded by the Lord. In other words, I know the Lord has spoken to you. What's he spoken to you about? And we're ready to hear it. Listen to this now. Say good news. Amen. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right, he is welcome to him. The words which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the things which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism of John proclaimed. You know that Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good, healing all that who were oppressed by the devil. And for God was with him. He went about what? Doing good and healing all those that were oppressed by the devil. He began to heal people. He delivered people. He gave sight to the blind. People that they needed to walk, they began to walk. People with a withered hand, he pulled it out during a Sabbath, and he said, look at that hand, it's clean. People that were blind, they received sight. All these things began to happen, and Peter begins to start. I could just imagine, Peter was just, you know, Peter was a preacher, man. I bet you, I bet you he was just getting fired up about now. He said, we are witness of all these things that he did in the land, and the Jews in Jerusalem, verse 39. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day, granted him to become visible, not to all people, but to the witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, to all us who ate and drank with him and arose that he arose from the dead peter was in the room when jesus walked through the wall and he said hey hey i wanted to show myself to you here i am and they didn't know they didn't know beforehand i don't know we'd heard about him mary magdalene was saying look he's alive he's alive i don't know i don't know thomas wasn't there the first time i believe peter was there when he first came in and then it was later jesus showed up again when thomas was there remember doubting thomas he was from missouri the show me state. He said, Look, show me your hand. Show me your size. You, you know, Missouri's the show me state. He's like, Show me these things. Thomas was, a, he had to be a Missourian. He had to be one of them guys from Missouri. Oh, Missouri wasn't even then. I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe Missouri came from, from Thomas. I don't know. That might, hey, wow. Uh, whoa. I don't even want to go there in my mind. He says, He ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testify that this is the one who had been appointed by God, the judge of the living and the dead. Verse 43, of him all the prophets bear witness and through his name, everyone who believes in him receives what? Forgiveness, remission of sins, forgiveness of sins. Say, I'm forgiven. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You're forgiven. What do you mean? Your aunt might remind you. Your uncle might remind you. But I'm here to tell you, God is not going to remind you of your sins. You are forgiven. They are done. They've been judged. And it is over. Hallelujah. He's not reminding you of that. That's some good news. you got to tell somebody tomorrow, hey, guess what? You're a believer in Christ, yeah? God's not reminding you of your sin. Are they there? You don't have to. You know they're there. People see them. Other people see them. And they have consequences. Amen? But I love forgiveness. Hallelujah for forgiveness. Come on, stand up on your feet. Let's give. Just, just lift your hands to the Lord. Just, just receive the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, God is the one that judges the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness. And through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. The Bible says while Peter is still speaking the words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening in the message. Holy Spirit, you come. You fall upon your people right now. You fall upon your people right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you that we are believers here. And we do receive your forgiveness. We receive your gift of righteousness that puts us in right relationship, not by what we've done, but what you have done, Jesus when you shed your blood on the cross for us, for the remission of sins. We receive that right now. Say, I receive come on say I receive it come on tell him tell him say I receive it I receive it I receive everything that you have for me we receive that right now in the name of Jesus it says all were circumcised believers who came with Peter who were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also and they were hearing them speaking in tongues and exalting God then Peter answered surely no one can refuse the water for these that are being baptized have received the Holy Spirit just as we did can he and he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to stay for a few days. Hallelujah! Thank the Lord for his word tonight. Woo! It's like, I'm just, I, when, I, when I read this, it's just like, oh my goodness! God's grace poured out. His, he poured out, I believe, as the Holy Spirit was ministering. His grace poured out. The, the Bible literally talks about Cornelius' household just got saved. Cornelius' household came to the Lord. Now, I know you've been probably praying. I know you've been fasting. I know you've been believing God for some things. There, I'm telling you, this is a year that salvation is coming to the people in your house, families in your house. It might be you just saying, hey, look. It, it, it could be very simple. It could be very simple. You don't have to come and receive Jesus Christ just at a church. I know people that have received Jesus Christ driving down the street. I know people that have been they've been trucking across this, this country, and heard, a, heard the Spirit of the living God fall in their truck, just consume them, and give their life to Jesus Christ. I know of people that have been at midnight, getting out of a club, and the Spirit of the living God sobered them up, and they were saved. Come on, somebody. So it's, say, it's time for my family. Come on. Say, it's time for my family. It's time for my family to come on in. You know, the Holy Spirit is beginning to woo people. People are coming. you got the good news they need. They need to know that Jesus came for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is not going to remind you of your sin. You know, somebody said, well, if the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, hey, you know what? Jesus is not going to be reminding you of your sins. He's going to be reminding you of your righteousness. You are righteous. You are righteous. I am the righteousness of God. It's a gift from him. If you're here tonight and you've never received that, let let him just give that to you tonight. Let him just give him all of himself. It's not about what you've done or haven't done. It's about what Jesus has done for us. Under the law, we could only be righteous when we we lived by the law. And the law points us to Jesus because there's so many restrictions under the law that we have to say, I can't do this. I got to have Jesus. And everything points us in the Old Testament, to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Why? For the remission of sins, for the forgiveness of sins. It's covered under the blood. Let's give him some praise in the house tonight.